0: some people are lucky they meet that special person everything's cool they go off and they have a fine life i love you i love you <laughs> oh honey <laughs> but for others when cupid's arrow strikes the thunderbolt hits home well fate has something else in store today on stamp judgment stories about the most important thing of all. Because it's that left, that right, jump or don't, snap judgment, storytelling with a beat from NPR and PRX. Stay tuned. People sometimes ask me what is wrong with you, so cynical, cynical. And I say, no, it's more like jaded, broken, hurt, sorry, afraid, worried, it's hard times out there, but not today, Mm -mm, not today, today, I'm a believer. And you know, people use that L word so lightly. I love this new shaving cream. I would love to go for a walk. I love it when you drive up to the building and get a parking spot. Oh, and I love you. Love? How are you going to love me and Cool Ranch Doritos? People say stuff all the time. But sometimes, some folks have to prove it. Now, call your significant other over. Now go ahead, go ahead. This is going to bring you close. It's best if you listen together. And if you're thinking, Glenn, I don't even have a special somebody vibe. I'm going to do you a special favor. Call this a test, a forever test. Test out Mr. Maybe. Because if he doesn't want to listen to this episode with you, then maybe he's not the person you need to be with. He'd only break your heart in the end. And yes, you are welcome. From PRX and NPR, welcome to Snap Judgment. My name is Glenn Washington, and we're calling this episode Ain't No Sunshine. We're kicking this episode off with something that has unfortunately become a very common problem. And no, not that common problem. I'm going to let Kathleen explain how she got her groove back. Kathleen made a habit of reading personal ads From prisoners who were looking for love She thought it was just for fun You know, she was just looking
1: Most of the ads says, you know Really honest guy looking for a straight woman and So there weren't ads that really interested me But his was different it's, it's
2: easy to do time when you're alone It's also very lonely and it's hard In a sense where don't really have no tomorrows. You don't care if you, uh, if you get to tomorrow.
1: To make a long story short, I decided to write to him in early 2002. Did not get any news for many months. Then I thought, that's pretty desperate when you write to an inmate and he doesn't write back. But finally I did get a letter. So we started to write on and off.
0: And then Kathleen, you know, she decided to take their relationship to uh, a different level.
1: I wrote him out of the blue one day a letter asking him what he thinks of at night, and I got very explicit on the letter of what he'd like and what I like.
0: So, Buck, the inmate, he told her exactly what he wanted.
1: And I remember once I got a letter from him and I was reading it of my car. Very bad idea to read a letter while you're in traffic. And as I got to a, a traffic stop, I got to the point where the letter, he says, I like exploring a woman's body with my tongue. Very bad thing to do while you're driving. I almost ran into the guy.
0: Finally, 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 it was time for Kathleen and Buck to get rid of the postman and meet face
1: face. So I went down to Kingston Pen and I went to meet him. Well, the first visit was a close visit. Uh, even necking was out of the question. So the first visit was really awkward at the beginning because it was like in the old days. It was a courtship.
0: On that first visit, Kathleen knew. She just knew that this was something special, something different than she had experienced before.
1: And uh, I looked in his eyes and I knew I would spend the rest of my life with him. The next day we had what they call an open visit, so it was a visit where we had contact.
2: We played with each other kind of in the visiting room and that, and our kissing kind of, my hands kind of wander on their own and so did Kathleen's.
1: I started to visit on a regular basis.
2: There's always that, we can't, we We have to stop because that camera's there.
1: Honestly, for the first six, seven months, I found it extremely hard to be with this person that I felt so attracted to and not being able to have nothing except, you know, a few kisses here and there. And uh, with time, I got to know him, I got to know his past. Uh, In 2007, we decided to get married.
0: But she also knew that consummating her marriage... The act that every married couple takes for granted was still out of reach for her and her husband.
1: I understood how corrections really work. That I would not have sexual intercourse with him uh, for at least at least three to four years. PFVs, they call private family visits or conjugal visits, and uh, so we had to fight for five and a half years.
2: I was really worried at that time, like. How much more can Kathleen handle?
1: And I, I kept saying to him, you know, if you can, f- away you kiss, we would should. I should be really, really okay. I knew it was worth the wait.
0: After battling the prison system for five and a half years, Kathleen and Buck were about to get their special. We're married now. Let's do this special time. The gates were opened.
1: We finally had our honeymoon. When you come in, first of all, they, you go through your stuff. So if you're a person who's shy, it's not an easy thing to do. I'm pretty lucky because I'm not. First of all, you'll have to sign in, then they put everything through the x-ray machine, and then they go through piece by piece of what you brought. Sexy lingerie and you know, high heel boots. And then once you finish, the guard goes through everything you have, uh, looks through everything you have, uh, touches everything you have. Then they put everything in a bag, and then you wait that they pick you up to bring you to your conjugal visit.
2: First VFP. It was just for three hours.
1: Like having the first date after six years, and me, who's not very shy, I was so shy. I was like froze up, sitting on the edge of a sofa. I didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say. I felt like this idiot sitting there going, okay, okay. <laughs> you want to watch TV? Okay. <laughs> you know? And I'm like saying to myself, okay, I'm married to this guy for life. We've been together six years, and I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. I knew what
2: to because everybody else tells me I knew from before. I, of course, I'm inside here, so I know what's coming. I know what the VFP looks like. I know what it, what's there, what's possible for us.
1: And I'm surprised because I thought it would be the opposite for the longest time, that I'm the one who would have to calm him down and tell him it would be okay and take the
3: reins. On her
2: way in, she was expecting something different. I think she was expecting some cement room with a bed and a sink and a toilet. That's it, like a cell where she walked into a little apartment. And that kind of really made her unsure and unnervous.
1: I had this expectation I had to perform.
2: We're also very excited about the possibilities now that we don't have cameras looking at us.
1: Now,
0: Buck had been in prison for many years at this point. That's a long time out of the saddle. And the old moves, they didn't come back as easily as he'd hoped.
2: My biggest fear was that I wouldn't be able to satisfy Kathleen. I was felt very inexperienced because I, I was so long without being in that field. Uh, I couldn't, um, I couldn't uh, really perform. I got very upset at myself at it. Kathleen would try to calm me down and tell me everything's okay and not to worry about it. And there are other ways to fulfill her, but I thought I was doing something wrong.
1: I looked into things, you know.
2: We tried Viagra and. I, I found out that it's not for us.
1: And I got into our it's a massage technique.
2: She goes, Honey, I saw this video. And she goes, You're really going to like this, but I saw.
1: We tried it out, and guess what?
2: And I'm telling you, <laughs> it, it worked. One of the happiest moments of my life.
1: <laughs> and how many times did we do it in three hours?
2: I don't know. I, I counted around 1450. <laughs> We were going like rabbits.
1: We did it everywhere, all the time.
2: Apparently Kathleen thinks I'm a great lover.
1: As soon as they would count us, we would start doing it again.
2: It was one of the most amazing three hours I ever spent.
0: The real challenge for Kathleen was trying to adjust to having a regimented love life.
1: You know, I know exactly when I'm going to do it, you know, from which day to which day. And that takes away some of the spontaneity. And that's hard sometimes because, you know, sometimes you're just not in the mood. But, you know, there's this expectation of doing it.
0: Eventually, Kathleen got used to the strict sex schedule. But as their lust faded and their love grew, it was the absence of affection that became most difficult to accept.
1: Like, you know, maybe tomorrow night or even tonight, I'd like to cuddle up and watch a movie and kiss him, but I can't. What I crave the most is not physical sex. It's just being together, like being able to cook a meal together, being able to, you know, uh, watch the movie.
2: Even if if Kathleen's gone in the bedroom to read because she doesn't want to watch what's on TV, I can get up and go to her at any time for the next three days. I don't have that when I'm in myself. You
1: realize when you ha- start having conjugal visits that those are the, n- the small little things that you miss more than the physical contact.
2: For me, the most amazing thing is uh, the ability to reach my hand out and she's there. It's very lonely and it's hard to do time when you're alone in a sense where tomorrow don't really exist. You don't care if you, uh, if you get to tomorrow. Now, since Kathleen came into my life, it's there's a change that I've noticed that you look forward to certain things, to actually everything.
0: Many thanks to the happy couple for sharing their story, and thanks as well to producer Caitlin Prest for bringing it on home for us. Now stay tuned. Amazing stories about this thing called love right after the break. Snap Judgment. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, and this is a special episode we're calling Ain't No Sunshine. Now, for our next story, love didn't just give Adam's life meaning, love gave him a cause.
4: Number five, run a half marathon. So, how often do you
3: run?
5: Uh, This past week has been really bad. Today might be rough. (laughs) It's a really good way for me to sort through my to-do list. And have you ever been a runner? No, I'm not a runner.
1: This must be love.
5: Yeah, it definitely is love. (laughs)
4: Number four, live in at least five different countries. So far, I've only got Canada and Korea.
5: Megan and I met in 2007 on a friend's roof. This is in Seoul, South Korea. Our mutual friend, whose name is Joanna, I met Joanna my first day in Korea. And I mean, from the second day, she started talking about her best friend that was coming over to, to live and teach from the beginning said you can't date you can't date you're not allowed to date this girl she was concerned that it would like ruin the the friend dynamic so I turned into a big joke and would send this girl that I didn't know at all uh, just like really weird emails and stuff that didn't make any sense or like lyrics to really cheesy pop songs it is kind of a funny way to start dating to joke about starting to date yeah yeah it was totally yeah we spent like two months joking about dating and then she got there and we dated like a month later we developed this habit of getting on city buses and just riding it to the end of the line. You go really far outside the city, so you get to see, like, really interesting, crazy parts of Korea. So we just hop on a bus and ride it to the end. They had a crossbow range there. It was an actual crossbow that you could shoot at balloons. Like, really? an actual... Like, an old wooden... It was awesome. So I won Megan... I don't know, stuffed bear or something stupid.
1: That's incredibly dangerous.
5: It was so sketchy. It was great. So that was your place only. Yeah, I think that was like our one-year anniversary. The next summer, in 2008, she felt a a lump, and then she wanted to get it checked out. Everybody, of course, is like, oh, don't worry about it, it's not going to be a big deal. I remember being a little definitely worried. Um, Your mind naturally kind of goes in every direction possible to maybe try and prepare you for all of the outcomes. So yeah, I was definitely scared, but I I really honestly didn't think it would be anything. She'd already had the biopsy, so we went in to talk to the doctor about, I guess, the results of it. He didn't speak perfect English. He didn't want anything to be lost in translation. He just says, like, I, you have, it's bad. He kind of danced around it for a second and then just said it. You have breast cancer. And he, yeah. Huh. She immediately went into the... I have to know everything about this mode, so I'm fully prepared for it, and I have control over this. Right that second? Right or Right that second. It was like a switch. She, Her head didn't drop, <laughs> and I was trying to find something to throw through his computer. I was just thinking that we had to leave Korea as soon as possible for treatment and all that. But yeah, she went back to Petrolia, and I moved back to D.C. Wait, so she was in Canada. You weren't even in the same country. No, <laughs> it was not easy at all. Healthcare in Canada is awesome, so she couldn't move here. All of 2009 was, like, breast cancer treatment. She had a mastectomy. When they were doing that, they found more cancer cells in the lymph node in her armpit, so they removed, like, all of the lymph nodes. It took probably a month for the surgery to heal, and then they started her on chemo, like, right away her fingernails turned really yellow and all, some of them almost came off which is pretty normal for it's it's gruesome and it's awful and she dealt with it oh she definitely she more than dealt with it she documented the whole thing in a blog That just like a really straightforward honest approach to what happens when you're young and you deal with breast cancer she wanted to put it out there to help other people so other people would get encouragement and insight. I mean, put pictures of the scar that she had on her chest, or, you know, what her hair looked like when it had all fallen out, or her fingernails. Cancer is awful, and it's especially awful for women because the things that they go through, like, they lose all the things that outwardly make them a woman, and it's so unfair. She was pretty self-sufficient. She oftentimes was comforting me more than I was doing for her, making me feel better about it. This thing that you love is perfect. This perfect thing that you've went out and found that is all yours and loves you just as much as you love it is now being dissected and taken apart. After radiation, she had periodic checkups, and those came back clear. Her hair started growing back, and she was really excited to have haircuts and like get a job. And last winter, even she came in and spent San Diego and met all of my family out here, and it was a great trip.
3: Yeah.
4: Number seventeen, get married. No pressure, Adam.
5: i had been thinking about it for a long time. I didn't make very much money, so I couldn't like save. So I didn't really like have enough money to get her a ring or anything. But you search your whole life for like the perfect person. And I found that. I wanted like everything to be perfect for her. We went to Ottawa for the weekend. I'd uh, proposed in the hotel room at like seven in the morning. She was an early riser and would get bored. So if you didn't wake up, then she would start poking you, but I tricked her into getting me a water bottle. Told her I was really thirsty and wanted some water, and she's like, "What? You're just as far as it from the water as I am. You can do that yourself." And I was like, "I don't feel like it." So That's so, so lame. Yeah, I know it was really weak. <laughs> she came back in with a water bottle, and I had I like put it on her pillow, and she's, "What is that? It's a ring." She's like, well, what is it? What's the, what's it for? Well, it's for you. Will you marry me? You're an idiot. Number 11.
4: Complete the weekend to end breast cancer six kilometer walk in Toronto.
6: In
5: January 2010, she started getting, like, headaches, really bad headaches. She went to the doctor. They did, like, CAT scans or MRIs or whatever, and it had metastasized. It had come back, and it has two uh, tumors in the back of her brain. When breast cancer comes back in the brain, that we knew that it was terminal. We just didn't know how long. Yeah, it it went downhill like really, really, really quickly. They, like the ambulance came and took her to the hospital and we were there and the doctor told us what was going on and everything and gave her the choice of going back home, like making her comfortable enough to go back home or passing away in the hospital. And she chose the hospital. Why do you think? I think because she didn't want to make it hard on her family to be in the house. Me and... Her mom and her dad were in the room with her when she passed away.
1: Was she coherent? Did she talk?
5: Yeah. She wanted to know, like, how long, and her dad said not long. And she told her mom it was going to be okay, and then, like, laid back and was totally comfortable and just, like, went to sleep. It was, it was weird. <laughs> it was really strange. This is like really insanely tangible pain. Right when she passed away, I remember not being able to stand up. I was like bent over sobbing. And I couldn't stand up because it hurt so bad. It, that literally feels like being crushed, getting hit by a bus, being run over by a train.
4: Number seven, master the following. Sewing, knitting and crocheting. Number six. My way with spend at sewing. least a hundred hours zero. volunteering. Four, so far ten. I'm up to four. Go to an hours. NHL game. Don't really care Number where. Ten. I just read want at least to go. twelve books a year.
2: The
5: first thing that I thought of right after she passed away, right outside the hospital. This was the first moment of clarity that I had.
4: Text Number six not included. Go to the symphony. Number twenty three, get some darn shiny, nice new glasses.
5: Megan had this list of goals, and she posted it on her blog as a list of things that she wanted to accomplish before she passed away. Number
4: eight, become part owner of a bed Number and 12, breakfast. Own a little cottage two by a lake. Two. Learn Number another 20. language. Go snowshoeing. Number one. Hold a PhD.
5: <laughs> it was the one thing that I knew that I had to do. I didn't have necessarily a purpose before, other than to be with Megan and make her happy every day. Yeah. I mean, this is like a hard question to ask, but I guess I wonder fulfilling the goals on the list will make it even harder down the road to move on. She tried to, to talk to me about it before she passed away. I want you to be happy. Like, I don't want you to be upset and go live by yourself in a shack in the woods, you know, and drink yourself to death. I know that she wants that for me, but I don't... None of that feels right right now. Completing her goals, that feels right. So it might make it harder, but I honestly, like... (laughs) I don't want to look for something better. Like, I don't want to move on. I don't want to feel better about it. I don't want to pretend like this isn't a thing for me anymore. I still want to, like feel upset and feel, like, broken-hearted. And... Yeah.
7: Oh. Too much pressure, Adam? Too much pressure. Too much pressure? <laughs> You're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. Okay. Good cool. job. Sweet. Oh. Oh. Wow.
0: (laughs) Adam is still pursuing his goal to complete Megan's list. He's taken a train across Canada, volunteered with children in India, and he isn't stopping anytime soon. Follow his journey at ForTheLoveOfMegan.org. We'll have a link on our site. This story was brought to us by Nick Vandercolt. He's the producer of the amazing Vocalo.org podcast, Love and Radio. It was produced by himself, Sean Cole, Ashley Yehern, with help from Eva Watchover. you ever have that teacher that went the extra mile that took your raggedy behind places you certainly would not have gone otherwise well eleanor chef was one of those teachers one of those teachers from back in the day and she found out about us and shared her own tale eleanor
3: My darling husband, Bill, died in my arms on Christmas morning, 2003. When we buried him, I slipped off his wedding ring, that one-of-a-kind ring for that one-of-a-kind man, and I placed it on my finger. For years, I was a high school science teacher and ran the Science Olympiad. And each year, I would take my students to different places all over the world. That year, I was supposed to take the students to Hawaii to see the volcanic rock formations. But my heart wasn't in it. I wanted to retire. Everyone told me, don't stop. Don't quit on your students. Bill wouldn't want that. So with a heavy heart, I took a group of Thurston High School students for a 10-day adventure on the big island of Hawaii. On this particular day, we planned to spend the day at Hapuna Beach. Instantly, the kids headed to the ocean. Dropping my cover up, I dashed into the water. For the next half hour, we played, laughed, and swam as I stood up and lifted up my arms. I watched horrified as Bill's ring slipped from my hand into the ocean. I was frozen in place. I cried out. The ring had disappeared. The kids rallied. They wasted no time mobilizing everybody to search for the ring using snorkels, shovels, and pails. They worked tirelessly for hours. Everyone was so red. So I stopped the search and told the kids, If this is God's will, that the ring remain in this place, so be it. Someone told me to see the lifeguard. I rolled my eyes and began to walk away. You know, the lifeguard said, If you drive 19 miles north to Kapa'au, Rick Freeman will help you. Excited, the kids demanded to go there immediately. Atop a peak overlooking the ocean, we found Rick Freeman at home. He was a retired firefighter from the mainland who spent his days surfing. So he listened to the story of the ring. And touched by my passion, he took on the project. He would go tomorrow with his metal detector. He rejected all offers of compensation, telling me that my chances were low. But he just had to do this. The next morning, Rick called and asked for us to stop by on our way to the rainforest. I was astonished when I saw all the large grids he had made in the sand. Then he asked what time I had lost the ring so he could determine if the ties were in or out. He sent us on our way, promising to call. By late afternoon, we had made our way to Javi. Reaching the top of the hill, I turned around to go back. And there it was. I saw Rick's big Chevy Caprice slowly coming towards me. As he got out, He just sauntered over, stopped and said, look at this pile of junk. Pulling his right hand from his pocket, I saw earring posts, twist ties, straight pins. But then he said with a big smile, the machine really blasted me when it found this. And there at the bottom of the pile was Bill's ring. I was incredulous. The kids were ecstatic. I was happy. I hugged and kissed him. I would never be able to adequately express my gratitude. I reached for the ring and it seemed to find its way back on my finger. It was home and I was safe.
0: Eleanor Sheposh is now retired from teaching science. She's an advocate for brain cancer research and makes one hell of a peppermint patty. They are so very creamy and delicious. That story was produced by Mark Ristich with help from the good folk at WJR in Detroit, Michigan. Now, you know, the ladies are always asking me, always asking me, don't you have any single friends? As a matter of fact, I do. Clever, got a job, all his teeth, works out artistically unstoppable. But for some reason, Snap Judgment regular contributor Joshua Walters goes looking for love in all the wrong places.
7: On New Year's this year, I was hanging out with my friend Max. And we were rolling down the streets of San Francisco in the dirty old Tenderloin District. And right in the middle of the street, I saw a wafty, flowing red balloon. And I said, this is a special balloon. This is my New Year's balloon. So we continued on down the street. I tied the little red balloon to my wrist, and it floated above my head. And we got to where we wanted to go, the infamous edinburgh castle and once i was inside i realized that this red balloon was my ticket to being someone different it was a hey, nice balloon great balloon man and six minutes before new year's six minutes at 11:54 p.m you feel this warm of youth energy, of very heterosexual male-female energy, about all the women in the place are looking in your direction, all the people are looking to see who will be their New Year's kiss, because on this time, more than any other time in the year, this is when you're supposed to be with someone. You're supposed to be with someone special, someone very special. So I think back to the girls of that week, and there's one girl who talked way too much. We had a a burning attraction for one another, but we just out-talked each other before we could get to anything more serious, anything more intimate. and frustrated us, and we swore off talking. We said, the next time I see you, I want to be with you, but I don't ever want to talk to you again. Talking ruins it. Why can't we just be in the moment? So when Midnight Hit... I texted up the the silent girl, the mad talker, and I said, Well, you know, silent date. It's New Year's. I'll meet you wherever you want. And I bounce out of the place, red balloon on my wrist, and I get to where she's at. She's at this club, this other kind of club called The Stud. Now, The Stud is a gay bar. I walk up to the door, and I wait there for a little bit, and suddenly this bearded man comes, and he says... Well, I'll get you in. No problem. Just follow me. And it's very friendly in there. It's friendly with a with a wink in the eye and a bump in the groin. It's friendly in there. They want to take care of you because this is a community of outsiders. A community that doesn't always get to have what they want. So the man with the beard takes me backstage to where the strippers are. And the first thing I see is a silent girl. silent girl. She's there, but she's with Another man. Another man. And I think, oh, I see. And I I go in the, the, the backstage and I put the balloon in my face. And I look over. And suddenly, the silent girl kisses the man she's with. And I think, oh, no. Oh, no. And the silent girl sees me. And she's still in the presence of this other man. And I hand her my little red balloon that I've still had on my wrist this whole time. I hand her my little red balloon. And like a charm, like an instant, the red balloon falls to the ground. We talk a little bit, but it's it's weird. I'm trying to do my silent thing. She's trying to talk. It's New Year's, I'm trying to be silent Not really working And by the end of the night It's time to catch a cab home And I call a cab And The man she's with calls a cab And now she has to decide I think, you know, just just go with him That's fine I walk out of the stud bar Into the the Nighttime air I hold the balloons in my hand
3: And I pop it
0: Joshua Walters is a one-man art production house, music maker, his own one-man stage show, poet. Check out the world he inhabits at thejoshuawalters.com. All right, this one is for the fellas. You say, Glenn, I don't know what to say. I don't have any good lines. These women, who knows how to talk to them? Well, I asked Snap Judgment contributor Jamie DeWolf, to put together a little script, just repeat after him and watch all the action flow your way.
8: Anytime a woman ever asks me, does this make me look fat? My answer is always, honey, absolutely. You look like a hippopotamus in a tummy with a sumo wrestler in a pig style. Like the notorious B.I.G. got locked overnight in the Willy Wonka chocolate factory. Need me to rip out your own eyes, turn them around to show you that you are hot. You are beautiful. Look at you saying, I think I'm getting a gut. What are you, Kate Moss on a coke binge? Hey, what a surprise. Another woman who's unhappy with their bra size. Honey, what if a bunch of men decided that our God given just weren't big enough and they sat too much? So now I got a ball job and I could rock these bad boys in a Z Cup. I don't need to wear beer goggles because you are top and you have raised the bar and I will kiss every zit on your ass to show you flesh is an insult to what you are Your body is the word fire spelled out in braille, and the blind can feel your heat even if it was sent through the mail, and if you're as beautiful on the inside as you are on the out, I bet you have the hottest spleen that no one has ever seen, so spit out that taste of defeat, come over here and love man, girl let's bump a cause I don't need a microphone to scream that you are hot, you are beautiful, so break your mirror with your fist. Do whatever it takes for you to admit there's no refund on your body, so you just got to own it. Because the most beautiful people in this life are the ones who never know it.
0: Bam! baby. what I tell you. What, 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 You like that Facebook? You like that Twitter? We got that. We've got you. Snapjudgment.org. Let us know what is up in your world. We'll be right back after this short break. Snapjudgment. A snap. Now this next story is a celebration to people who mean what they say and who say what they mean.
1: I love you, honey. <laughs> I love you. Oh honey.
6: Yuri and I met through a friend of mine. He came home on leave. He had just returned from Afghanistan, so he was home for ten days. I don't know, we kind of just hit it off the first night and we were just hanging out and talking and we stayed over, but not like anything. (laughs) Not like, not like that. I was on the couch. The next day then I left and then Yuri called me and was like, you know, like, I don't know. There's just something about you that I can't stop thinking about and I really like you and I want you to come back. (laughs) So it was instant and I felt the same way. So I drove over there. hung out with him for practically the whole week that he was here. I would go down and visit him. Yuri was a bit of a practical joke person. He always thought he was being funny. And one time, I called him after I got off the plane. He's like, that's today? And I'm like, how could he forget about me? I go to walk outside, and he's standing there, and he's got flowers in his hands. And I'm like, I am going to kill you. I would say I visited him about a total of, like, 20 days, probably. But when we weren't together, we were on the phone. Four to five hours a day (laughs) just talking to each other. And the last time I went out there was January for my birthday, January 20th. And then on the 23rd, he asked me to marry him. (laughs) After After you... (laughs) After 20 days? (laughs) After three months. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And you said? I said yes. (laughs)
3: I was not thrilled, because <laughs> I just thought it was a little soon. My name is Debbie Pirog. I am the mother of Amy. The seal the bargain for me was at 1 o'clock in the morning, Amy, Yuri, and I went bowling. And I thought any guy who would take his future mother-in-law bowling <laughs> at 1 in the morning, he was okay by me.
6: <laughs> he found out that he had to go back to Iraq. Like, I knew it meant he was going to war, but I didn't know what it meant for us. So this is the box with all the love letters? <laughs> yeah, it has everything in it. I wrote him more letters and I never let him forget it.
1: <laughs> so do you go through the box often?
6: Mm, not really. I, it kind of makes me sad usually.
2: I'm uh, Matt Housen, and I was Marines with Jerry. Second lab battalion, we hung out a lot, talk, you know. He would talk about Amy.
6: So he was a diesel mechanic.
2: He was one of the top mechanics in our battalion.
6: So he worked on the seven tons and Humvees.
2: Uh, he would go out on convoys, and when a vehicle would go down, he would have to go try to either fix the vehicle or tow the vehicle. So that was in the middle of Iraq, so. It
6: was dangerous seven months seven long very very long months (laughs) when he came home i was there to see him get off the bus you know at that moment our life was perfect (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) one night he just woke up and he just wasn't feeling good it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and the pain was so bad he was bent over, and so his friend took him to the emergency room on base.
2: I was the one who actually ended up taking him to the hospital,
6: and then that's where they figured out that his appendix had started to rupture.
2: They told me what was wrong, so he's like, Oh, yeah, something's gonna happen in and out of here in no time.
6: That's what he told me. His friend called me and said, Something happened, and And I'm like, okay, this isn't funny because Yuri would mess with me all the time. They were like, no, 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 we're not joking, I'm serious. The doctor said, you have to come down here. You need to make some decisions. We flew down there. You know, I see this guy laying there swollen with tubes coming out of his mouth. And when you look closer, then you saw that they had to cut his throat open to get him to breathe. And it turned out that it was in post-op a nurse anesthetist in training pulled the breathing tube without a doctor present. When she did that he had a laryngeal spasm which is basically a swelling of your throat.
7: And I'm Larry Pirog, father of Amy. You know Amy called and she was saying that he could be brain dead because of the lack of oxygen and they think he was without oxygen for 10 minutes and she said well that's not that's not real long is it? And I'm thinking well yeah that's pretty bad but you know you do anything to just kind of make her feel good and you know basically lied to her and said no no i think that's still okay
6: the neurologist said that they gave him a and said he would never wake up he was
2: in a coma so it seemed like forever yeah seems like forever
6: the first very very first thing that we noticed was when the nurse turned on the light he flinched we had the radio on one day and I think it was like In My Father's Eyes came on. That song always made him cry and all of a sudden we look over and there's like tears coming out of his eyes. He was unconscious for a total of three months. When he first woke up he couldn't move, he couldn't see anything, he couldn't talk, he had severe tone and spasticity which is really really tight, rigid muscles, so his arms were bent at 90 degrees, and his fists were kind of into his chest. Everything happened in 2006. Yuri was injured. His father died in a car accident. He lost his mom, who committed suicide. Then his brother went to jail. He was gone for two years, so he pretty much lost his whole family and his independence within one year. He's only 22, and I was 19
3: is quite young to take on the responsibility. I just said, Well, I'm here however long you need me and we'll just, you know, do whatever I had to do and be there for her and for Yuri. So he moved in with us with a hospital bed <laughs> and that was it.
5: Because it's our kid, you know, and
7: and she loves this guy and you know, he's now part of the family,
2: you know, he, whether he likes it or not, he's <laughs> part of the family.
3: I think the hardest part was just watching Amy and how tired she was. It was more like, okay, well, we'll
6: get him back. We'll get him back walking and talking. It's, you know, they can fix it here. I don't think I really fully understood the extent of his injury until I was the one that was taking care of him. And that clinking sound is Jerry throwing his brake extender. (laughs) as far as he can. (laughs) (laughs) He'll throw his wheelchair apart and just laugh hysterically because he knows eventually I have to pick it up because it'll bother me. He'll just smile and I'll know he's thinking of something to say. I don't know what it is but I know it's some smart ass remark. (laughs) 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 I thought if I fell apart then he would fall apart too. How many more times can you be kicked down before you can't get back up again. You know, and I just kind of just started doing stuff. I started looking online for new alternative therapies for him. So once we started kind of breaking out, meeting people, we realized that, oh, people do care. They just, you know, they just didn't know. They did adaptive skiing for him. Tell you what, Yuri, the slopes look good right now.
8: After these three, you are clear
3: to go. Get him, Yuri.
6: And I'm like watching and there's this guy coming down the hill like really fast on a sit ski. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that guy's crazy. And my dad's like, that's Yuri.
8: <laughs> Woo-hoo! Nice we got. Very nice. <laughs> that
5: <was Yahoo>.
8: fun.
7: <laughs> <laughs> nice. And Amy's always found other ways to get the things that Yuri needs, like these hyperbaric treatments and therapy which lets them remember how to walk
6: calm down and think about where your feet are there you go
0: no rush no rush Mm -mm. get back
6: good you used to need a lot of help getting those feet untangled yeah good
2: good 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 basically
6: the way we communicate now is through yes no questions I'm very good at trying to decipher what he's talking about. Because if you think, you know, like, what? The robotic, the song, you? You're awesome, RoboCop, your legs.
8: I want the Snapple.
6: It's a Dynavox Snapple. he has different categories that he goes to and he can tell me if he has to go to the bathroom or if he wants something to drink or if he loves me or if he's angry. Yeah, he has a square page. So usually whenever he walks into a waiting room, you start hearing what he really feels. I want this We got married um, December 20th of 2006. I wanted him to know that I wasn't gonna leave him and that we were gonna do this together. And he wanted to marry me because he loved me. (laughs) Life is not how I pictured it. But you just have to accept it for what it is. (laughs) Ow! Give me my arm back. (laughs) Give it back. (sighs) If I let you lay down on the couch, will you give me my arm back? (laughs) Okay. Give it back then. I'll let you lay on the couch. Thank you. (laughs) We have a connection that I've never felt before. And it's like... If he feels pain, I feel pain. If he's happy, I'm happy. Even before this, I loved his personality. I loved how he treated me and talked to me. And now I just I just love him overall. I love him for overcoming this and for continuing to fight. You know, I just love I love everything about him.
8: I love you, honey. You're cute. <laughs>
0: were recently able to move out of her parents' living room and into their very own fully-furnished home. Her relationships with Foundations, the VA, and her community have helped Yuri get all kinds of help, from chiropractic care to a new van. Amy regularly uploads videos on YouTube about Yuri's progress, and we're going to have a link on our site so you can check it out for yourself. The story was produced by our own Miss Stephanie Foo. Now, see, what did I tell you? The cynic is gone, isn't it? It brought you closer together, didn't it? I told you. Stamp Judgment was produced by myself, but never, ever alone. Please, put your hands together for the uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. Most Steph. Stephanie Fu had a big hand in this particular episode. And Rita Daniels needs no GPS. Will Urbina leaves crumbs from his house to Snap Studios. Anna Sussman likes crumbs. Mitchie Mock asks cab drivers for directions to where she's gotta go. Now, if you're scanning your local internet dating site and you see the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, don't just click over to the next one. You've got to give them a chance. Go ahead and write how you like long walks on the beach and whatnot. You never know. You never know. Many thanks to the CPB. And you know who's amazing? I'm going to tell you, Youth Speaks, because the next generation can speak for itself, youthspeaks.org. You know what mixes well? Like peanut butter and jelly? Like ham and burger? Like public and radio? They make a special blend at PRX, the public radio exchange, putting the public in public media, prx.org. And even though this is not the news, it's not the news. In fact, you could accidentally drink the wrong potion, fall in love with the villain of the story and not snap out of it until the writer employs some ridiculous magical plot device and you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is NPR. Every time she falls away.